from the Rocky Top Insider Studios, it's the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler, Ryan Shumpert, and Jack Foster. All right, and welcome to another edition of the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. My name is Rick Butler. Joined to my right, that is Ryan Shumpert. Joined across the table, that is Jack Foster. We are back. Back in black like ACDC, back in the studio with a massive, massive week ahead of us in the Tennessee sports world. Not only does Tennessee have not one, but two teams in the Sweet 16. Not only does Tennessee te- does Tennessee have a top 25 ranked baseball team, they got a top five ranked softball team. And Tennessee football spring practice started on Monday. Man, if you, no matter what area of the Tennessee sports world that you're interested in, Odds are you probably have a little bit of news to talk about right now. You probably have something going in your direction, and we're going to do our best today to kind of combine it all into one easy-to-listen-to podcast, and it should be for your entertainment. Gentlemen, how are you guys doing today? Doing well. Doing well. Glad to, well, briefly be back in Knoxville, be back in Knoxville, be back in the studio for the first time in uh, what feels like a couple weeks at least, and you said it best, plenty to get to and really all sports here in Knoxville. Yeah, as crazy as the fall is with football season, like the spring gets crazier when it's like this time of year. When yeah. spring practice starts, if the basketball team's still in it for both men and women, it gets really crazy here in late March, and it's a lot of fun, and I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, no doubt about it. it, it you're right. I mean, football obviously, in a lot of ways, is the you know the main gear that ma- that makes the engine run. A- and so when you don't have that, things get a little bit easier. Even though there can be other crossover, but then yeah, you, you have spring football out of nowhere, which feels like a season in itself. I mean, there's so much going on between now. And when will when the orange and white game will take place on April fifteenth? So, lot to get into today, lot to get to on the podcast. But first, before we get into Tennessee basketball, because that's kind of going to be the main conversation today. We told you we're going to be doing this at the, let's see, the RTI post game show right after the Duke victory. We said we're going to be doing a preview. Didn't know what team it was going to be. Now we know that it is going to be number nine seed Florida Atlantic versus Tennessee in the Sweet Sixteen. Before we get to that, though. I want to go ahead and tell you that at the end of the show, kind of in the last segment or so, man, we have two awesome guests that I'm going to be talking with. We're going to be bringing on the show, and it kind of is in the Tennessee football world. Although we'll be talking about a bunch of different things, we're going to be bringing on Kyler Kerbison and Reed Bacon onto the show. These guys are two big podcasters when it comes to Tennessee football with the Believe Network. They are fantastic. They know their stuff. Kyler Kerbison, for anybody who isn't familiar, is a former Tennessee player. I mean, from 2011 to 2015, he was here. So we definitely saw some stuff. He was a two-time SEC Offensive Lineman of the Week. So it's going to be really interesting to kind of get his perspective on just where Tennessee football is right now. I think ultimately we know a lot about the football season and we know a lot about the ins and outs of what might happen during that season. But I think he's going to give us some good perspective just on what spring practice means, what kind of entails with it, and so on and so forth. So that's going to be really fun. Make sure to be listening for the last segment of the show when we bring on Kyler Kerbison and Reed Bacon. Yeah, that will be fun, and uh, certainly a, a different type of insight that Kyler Kerbison can bring, and also maybe, might not be this podcast, maybe for another day, but 2011, 2015, I bet there's some good Derek Dooley's Butch, Butch Jones <laughs> stories he has as well. Yeah, that's that's kind of where, where I was, uh, what I was thinking as well when, when you say that, you know, he, he's seen plenty on the football field, and he's probably seen plenty off of it as well, <laughs> yeah, so I'm exactly. sure he's got great stories, and I know they're going to be a practice this week coming up, I don't exactly know which day, but... Some of these practices open to the media, open to alumni, so on and so forth. So they're going to be up there. We're going to be getting their talk, uh, or get excuse me, getting their opinions 
throughout the week as well. But again, make sure you're sticking around to the end of the podcast for our conversation with Kyler Kerbison, former Tennessee offensive lineman, and his partner in crime, Reed Bacon, as obviously two great Tennessee football podcasters. But guys, without any further ado, let's go ahead and get into it because ultimately it's been a little while since Tennessee fans could Tennessee you know, Tennessee fans look forward to the Sweet 16, since Tennessee media could talk about the team in the Sweet 16, but now we're finally here as Tennessee looks to avenge that Sweet 16 overtime loss to Purdue back in 2019. I think we all remember that game pretty darn well. So coming up this Thursday night, 9 o'clock p.m. on TBS, from the mecca of sports arenas across the world, from Madison Square Garden, number four seed Tennessee is going to take on the ninth seed Florida Atlantic, Man, this is a big one. This is an opportunity where Tennessee's got the door open. I'm not saying that it's going to be an easy game by any stretch of the imagination. We're going to talk about what Florida Atlantic, what the Owls bring to the table here, but would you guys not agree? I mean, the door is open maybe more than you thought it could be at this point. Oh, certainly. I mean, who had Tennessee and Florida Atlantic in their Sweet 16? If you had Tennessee, you probably didn't have Florida Atlantic as the opponent in the Sweet 16, of course. Purdue losing, Memphis losing, FDU having that Cinderella run, but... Yeah, it's going to be interesting if FAU should not be taken lightly, and we'll get into that. But, yeah, Tennessee, the door is wide open for an Elite Eight appearance, of course, and uh, maybe even potentially farther than that. Yeah, I liked how you put it. The, the door's open or the window's open. It's it's an opportunity, and uh, that's, I think, the best way to put it. It's not going to be easy. It's a good Florida Atlantic team. On top of that, we've obviously seen how inconsistent Tennessee has been game, game to game this season, but certainly one you'd want to take advantage of. And actually, funny enough, I'll, I'll bring it up. In 2000, this is crazy the similarities this to me, Tennessee, when Jerry Green was Tennessee's head coach, Tennessee was a four seed in the NCAA tournament. They beat 13 seed Louisiana by five points in the first round of the tournament, a low-scoring game. Yeah. Obviously, Tennessee beat them by three points. Would have been five if you know Louisiana made a layup and it didn't matter as the buzzer sounded. Then they beat four seed UConn, who was a favorite in the second game. And then they played, obviously, a different team, but they played eight seed North Carolina, in Sweet 16, Tennessee blew a double-digit second-half lead in that game, and that's one where I think a lot of people go back and you look at the missed opportunities, you know, where Tennessee could have made a Final Four. That was a golden opportunity, getting a lower seed in the Sweet 16, and Tennessee will have another one on Thursday night as they take on Ford Atlantic. Yeah, no, absolutely. That That is a really fascinating kind of comparison and route when you look at those things, but as we know, Tennessee is looking for their looking for a an, an appearance, excuse me, in the Elite Eight first, as we're saying, though, Got to take down Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic reached this spot by taking down uh, Fairleigh Dickinson, which was, man, what a fascinating little second-round matchup right there after Fairleigh Dickinson knocked off uh, Purdue for only the second time. A a 16-seed team takes down a number one seed. Then Florida Atlantic beat Fairleigh Dickinson by a score of 78-70. to So that's kind of how we got here. We know that Tennessee, like we just mentioned, beat Louisiana and then beat Duke. Ryan, what are your first thoughts when you think about these two teams matching up on the court uh, especially from kind of a Florida Atlantic perspective? Well, I think my first thought in like a general sense is that a lot of people probably see Florida Atlantic and think, okay, Cinderella story, you know, big upset. 13 seed, 14 seed, that's what I think. Kind of like when Tennessee faced Mercer in whatever that was, 2014 NCAA tournament. That's not the case. This Florida Atlantic team was one of, if not the highest seeded team, coming, or non-power six team coming in. And I guess second because Houston was one seed and they're not a power six team in the AAC. They are tied with Houston for the least amount of losses of anybody remaining in the field. They've lost just three games all year. This is a really good team. This is a team that 
consistently from the start of the year has impressive wins, has been really good. And I think when you get specifically to what they do, when you look at their roster, it's a, it's a small team. It's kind of going to be, in a lot of ways, flipped from the Duke matchup where Tennessee saw a big Duke team that wanted to play in the half court. FAU doesn't push the pace a ton, but they play decently quick. They really only have two guys in the rotation that are 6'8 and taller. One of them, Vlad Selak, Golden, the center from Russia. Him and Euros Plasic should be interesting to watch them. Go up. He's seven foot one, yeah. but him one other forward, and besides that, it's like six or seven guys in this FAU rotation that are six four or smaller. So, uh, a lot of them are shooters. Seven guys that have made over thirty threes this season. Seven guys that shoot over thirty percent from three. I believe it is four guys, three guys. Yes, three guys that shoot over thirty eight percent from three. So, a lot of shooters. A small team uh, in a game that I think it's going to be. Imperative Tennessee gets out on three-point shooters and, and kind of controls things inside and dominates the glass. Yeah, it's interesting because if you watch that Fairleigh Dickinson game with Florida Atlantic, you're going to think Florida Atlantic's big. Yeah. It's because FDU is so small. But in mm-hmm. reality, it's not that way. FAU has a ton of shooters, and it, you know Tennessee's going to have to keep up. Yeah, I, I agree with you guys. And I think this is an opportunity for Tennessee for a second straight game that you really saw it against Duke to use that physicality to their advantage. Now, I will say, it, things got a little interesting on Sunday. And I didn't really realize this until maybe late Sunday night or, or Monday morning, at least, looking around on social media just because of the drive that, that was from Orlando back to Knoxville. But right now there's a little bit of a narrative that Tennessee is a dirty team in the tournament. This has not been a narrative all season. We have not even spoken the word dirty one time on any of the podcasts that we've done. Not because somebody else has called Tennessee, not because we felt like that's been Tennessee's game, but all of a sudden this narrative kind of boils up a little bit. Now, to me... I, I kind of think it's, first off, I, I don't believe it. I, I don't believe that to be the truth. I think it is just kind of getting to this point in the season where, man, you look at the public opinion and it was really on Duke, and maybe some people are just trying to find a way to kind of justify a Tennessee win right there. I also think that you can look at the play with Filipowski and obviously the elbow to the eye and the blood and everything. Maybe you take that out, and maybe there's a lot less weight to that narrative that Tennessee is a dirty team. I think that there are people using that specific play and the bloody uh, the sight and the pictures from that. I've seen that picture going around so many times. But what have you guys thought about this? I, I can't imagine that anyone is strongly agreeing with it by any stretch. No, you know, I I had seen a little bit of it on, I guess, Saturday night, I guess, uh, from Doug Gottlieb at that point. And look, like, if you want to go after Yurif Plasic and, like, call him dirty, like, to me, that's kind of one thing. Like, he has he has some plays that are on the line or sure. near the line, and he's probably gone over the line a couple of times. I don't particularly think either of the plays early in that game uh, against Duke were all that bad. I mean, the one that Gottlieb was talking about was the box-out play, and that hard box-out, sure, seen that happen five times a game in SEC play throughout the year and not called a foul, so... I'm not saying it was a bad call to call it a foul. It probably was a foul, but it was only a foul because Filipowski fell down, and it certainly wasn't a dirty play. Uh, and then, yeah, I guess to the more larger scheme, I think you've seen less of this, uh, but just calling, even though Cotley was one of them, called Tennessee a dirty team in, in general, that that feels pretty ridiculous. I don't think there's hardly anything to back that up. And it's certainly a physical team. Like they, we, I wrote about after the game, like they talked about, the game plan was to bring Duke in the mud. That's, they want to bring teams to their level, as they should. They haven't won many games this year where they've outscored teams. Think about the high-scoring games they've played. They haven't won money, many of them. Arizona, Missouri a couple times, uh, Auburn in the end of the regular season. They know their style. They know how they want to play, and that's physical. That is aggressive, but I haven't seen really anything all year to make me think it's dirty either. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think, Ricky, you, you were right when people are just trying to justify it because on paper coming in, I mean, we all picked Duke. Uh, 
a yep. lot of people were picking Duke. All, all the money was on Duke to cover. So it's just kind of difficult to really think that Tennessee could beat Duke in this situation without Zakai Ziegler especially and just given how Tennessee has performed at that level in the tournament. But then they do it. They take Duke to the mud and they win. And I think people are making a mountain out of an anthill a little bit, especially pointing to a couple of Earl Splash's plays. Yeah, I agree. But just kind of going back to that conversation of physicality, though, Tennessee will have size on this team. And, and again, I think that's a spot where Tennessee can take advantage. Now, I don't know how they're going to match up throughout the game, but I think if you're Tennessee, man, you, you could put out a small lineup out there, right, yeah, to, to go hand-in-hand hand with, with what FAU is going to do. You could put out a small lineup, and, and I, I'm sure at some point in the games they will do that. But for me, I, what I would like to see from Tennessee in order to get a victory, I would like to see them play their game and try to make FAU play a more physical game. Again, take them down to the mud. Uh, I, I think that there's a couple different ways that you can play this if you're Tennessee, but I would, I would at least start the game by saying, hey, we're going to put our bigs out there. We're going to be physical. We're going to continue to be aggressive. See how that works. Yeah, I mean, it's all about what we kind of talked about in the first half of the Duke game. Who, who can di- dictate the terms of how the game's played? And yeah. this is an even more radical difference because these teams play a lot, lot different from one another. If, and I think it comes down to can Tennessee defend? Can Tennessee defend the three-point line with – I don't think you worry about as much with Olivier Kamwa on the court playing the four because he is such a strong – athlete and has done a good job all season when guarding smaller guys I think you worry about Tobey Walker when he's out there Euros Plastic if he gets drugged in any of that Jonas to do if he gets drugged in any of that and if Tennessee can do that if they can defend the perimeter with two big men on the court I think you'll see them play two big men most of the game and that's what to me is going to be the key if they don't then I think you're going to see a lot more of those four guard lineups where yeah. you have Julian Phillips playing the four Josiah right. Jordan James playing the mm-hmm. four and certainly Tennessee can play that way they can go that way but it goes into to what I said a minute ago this team really has been better this year when they've been able to make it kind of a slugfest rock fight type game and playing big is definitely Tennessee's best rock fight type of lineup yeah I, I, I agree and you know Again, you start out the game, Ryan, you talk about you know who, who's going to dictate the game first, and I think that that's an opportunity where, where Tennessee can come out and they're going to say, hey, we're going to play big, and we're going to try to be dominant from that perspective. Now, again, obviously, they could go different directions, but to me, that's that's the that's the style of play that I see working for Tennessee here, and some of that is recency bias, right? Some of that is directly thinking about the Duke game, but hey, that's what they're immediately building on it, it, right here in the present, and I think that's what could work for them here in the Sweet 16 game. Yeah, and I think that's a key for tournament play, too, because March Madness is a completely different animal. You're going to want to play physical. You're going to want to, you know, just win these gritty games, and Tennessee does that with big lineups, and, you know, defense wins championships for a reason. Yeah, I think another thing that's just going to be interesting to watch and important for Tennessee to adapt to early is how the game's being called, because especially with the talk of all this week, and obviously uh, Dusty May, Florida Atlantis coaches, kind of quipped about how Tennessee, physical Tennessee is, you wonder how the game's going to be officiated, and if it is isn't if it's officiated where you're not letting Tennessee play, not letting Tennessee grab coming off off ball screens and all that good stuff, then you got to adjust, and you have to not be slow to adjust and, and realize that's how the game's being played, and, and find another way to win. Ryan just mentioned the big Russian that Florida Atlantic has in the middle, Vladislav Golden. And I might, if I'm mispronouncing that, uh, I had no shot in the first place. If so you are mispronouncing it, that should be how it's pronounced because that's an awesome name. Vladislav uh, Golden, yeah, seven foot one, two hundred and forty pounds. Ryan just mentioned him. He's going to be in the middle. He's going to be a big, big old redwood tree right there. But the other name that I think you should really kind of familiarize yourself with from this FAU team is John L. Davis. He, he is a tremendous guard, sophomore from Indiana, six foot four, two hundred and three pounds. This is the guy that really put the team on his back in that FDU game, which is kind of crazy to think. I mean, John L. Davis scored 29 points 
on, let's see, what is this? Uh, 62.5% shooting from the floor. Also threw in 12 rebounds, also had five assists, also had five steals to just one turnover himself. This guy is tremendous. This guy is certainly a, a name to watch for. When you're thinking about who could be the, you know, who could be a, a weapon for the Owls, this is definitely one of those guys. I believe he also leads uh, FAU in scoring on the year and average. 13.9 points on average per game, shooting exactly 50% on average from the field and an above an 85% free throw shooter. So, again, two names to to know about. Vladislav Golden right there in the middle, the big redwood tree, and then John L. Davis, just a, a terrific guard who who almost nearly dropped 30 points on FDU in the second round. Yeah, Davis, uh, you, you mentioned he's probably the most lethal guard for Florida Atlantic. Obviously, he played really well in the second round. He had a pretty quiet first game, and but yeah, I mean he can. He's a really efficient scorer. Fourteen points a game, or just under fourteen points a game. Fifty percent shooting from the field, thirty-nine percent from three-point range. I think one thing that stands out about FAU, and one way we've talked a lot of ways how they're different in Tennessee. One way they're pretty similar is John Davis probably is their best guy, but it's it's very much a by committee type of offensive team. It's a lot of different guys that score. Um, seven guys between. Six guys between seven and a half points and thirteen point nine points per game scoring. So they have a lot of different guys that can beat you. It's not a one-trick pony offensively in a lot of ways. And I think the one other thing I'll say about Davis, and it really applies to this whole FAU team, is when you worry about Tennessee playing a team with a bunch of guards, you worry. I think with Sky Ziegler out about the short, super quick guards, is that going to be an issue for Tennessee? FAU has some quick guards, but none of those guys that you think of kind of in that mold that are super small, super quick, and enough that's going to give Jemai Meshack or Santiago Vescovi, I think, a ton of trouble defensively. So I, I do think that is a good uh, sign or a good kind of matchup when you look at it for Tennessee. Sure. Yeah, I would agree with that, for sure. Now, even going to that point a little bit, but maybe flipping to the other side of the court for a minute, Ryan, you talk about scoring in bunches. You talk about scoring by committee. You talk about kind of the guys at the top of the team. When I look at Tennessee and when I look at Tennessee's offense, you brought up a great stat right before the uh, right before we start recording here. Tennessee is what the the uh the worst offensive efficiency team out of the teams remaining in the remaining. Yep. Okay. So so that is a little bit of ground to make up right there. And you know, that's that's certainly a, a an obstacle that Tennessee is going to have to climb going into the games last weekend. At least I was fairly adamant that Tennessee needed Josiah Jordan-James to be that second-leading scorer Mm -hmm. to have a chance. And you can look at the stats, and the stats backed up as well. But then, lo and behold, Tennessee wins two games, one of those games being against Duke, when Josiah Jordan-James scores 15 points combined between both games, 7-1 and and 8 in the other. Maybe I'm starting to rethink that a little bit, but there there is something to say that Tennessee needs that second score. I think you're you're fairly understanding that Santiago Vescovi is going to get his. He's game plan the most, so you know he's going to have trouble sometimes, and trouble not in terms of his own shooting, but just trouble in terms of how the defense is playing him. Tennessee desperately needs that second big score. When yeah. they can have that, things typically go pretty well. And in college basketball, in a lot of ways, you can you can get pretty far in a game if you have two good scores, and then everyone else kind of you know playing their role alongside them. Who's going to be that second-leading scorer? I do not know. It could be a range of guys. It could be Josiah Jordan-James. It could be Olivier Kamwa. It could be Jemai Meshack. Tyreek, he even had a pretty good game against Louisiana. So there's a lot of guys that could fit that role. I'm not necessarily confident that it has to be Josiah Jordan-James anymore, but I am absolutely confident that, they got, that they're going to need that second scorer in each of these games besides Vescovy. Yeah, you just put it perfectly. You just need someone else to step up to take some of the load off of Vescovy's shoulders and 
Josiah Jordan James is the guy we talk about because he's the most likely guy to be that. He yeah. has shown that potential the most or most consistency. Uh, I think in this game, when you look at it from a matchup game, it is a game where Olivier Kamal could have success. Obviously, he's his inconsistency has been a common theme throughout the year. Can you put two really good games together after how just spectacular he was against Duke? And I think almost for this game, he might be the guy that is the most important for Tennessee because what we just talked about, the first thing we talked about when we talked about FAU, they don't have a lot of size. They're a smaller mm-hmm. team. Can you take advantage of that with interior scoring? And a lot of that is just getting second chances with rebounding. It doesn't necessarily mean scoring. But a lot of it is either when you get those rebounds or in the half court, can you score with your big guys down low? And again, Olivier Kamwa has been Tennessee's best guy of doing that. Yoris Plasic can do it a little bit. Tobey Awaka can do it a little bit. Jonas do a little bit as well. But even with him, I don't think he's a guy that you can really see the potential for him scoring double digits uh, for the most part. So it, it, at least when he gets double digits, there's got to be a lot of cleaning up, a lot of other guys right. getting him easy dunks. You're not going to throw Jonas to do the ball down low and he's going to go get you four buckets that way or anything like that. So you look at all that stuff, and, and Plasic, even though he's done it, you're talking about a guy, he often does it against guys that are smaller than him. you got a guy in the middle for Fort Atlantic that is – has an inch on him, I think that'll be hard for him. And uh, I think when you look at all those things, it's like Olivia Conwell having a big game would go a long way. I think Jemai Meshack's another guy from that element of his ability to get to the basket and finish around some smaller guys and a little bit being easier. He's another guy you kind of look at that obviously he's a much different player, but he can do some of those things that the big men can do and take advantage of Florida Atlantic's lack of size. Yeah, I think Jemai and Josiah would be the two to step up offensively and be that guy outside of Santi, but I mean, as you said, Ryan, Olivier Kamla, now th- this is not a game we've seen out Olivier a lot, of course, really only twice this season, of course, a career effort against Duke. I mean, when you have 23 points out of a dude in the second half, you don't really need much else. No. That's just kind of how it goes. <laughs> I mean, he scored, what, 17 in the final 19 for Tennessee, I think. Yep, and a 17 in the final 15 or something like that. I think after that crazy and, uh, and one he had is when he yeah. just went on a freaking tear. Which that was like a very – underrated moment of the game like it, it Duke had gotten the lead to two Tennessee was struggling to get stops early in the second half mm-hmm. you get that I think it was going into the under 16 timeout and you just got that and it got Tennessee back up by five after he made a free throw and it just felt like from that point on not that it was like a lock Tennessee was going to win but every Tennessee had answers for everything Duke had the rest of the game yeah it's funny you say that I don't know if you know this but when I did my high and tight this week yeah I did like the top three biggest moments in Tennessee Duke or the best plays whatever you want and my was, Olivier and one was number one yeah I think that's I think that's a good pick and another one that we're kind of going back to Duke I think we might have even talked about it on our post game podcast it's something you would never think to think about even looking back on it certainly a stat book but Jemai Meshack when he went one for two, which isn't even great. <laughs> Twice at the free throw line, but it was the front end of the one and one. Duke purposefully they weren't they were only gonna foul if Jermaine Meshack got the ball. Like they yeah. were targeting him. Right. The possession before they pressed, they got back and played half court defense. The possession after those two things happened, they got back and they just played half court defense. They said, We don't think he can make free throws and he only went fifty percent. Jermaine Meshack's probably not happy with that. But by hitting the front end both times, it felt like you were kind of sending a blow to Duke's game plan, a blow to what Duke was trying to do, and it kind of st- one steadied the ship for Tennessee. You never felt that panic, and I think it kind of took a little bit of the wind out of the sails for Duke as well. I mean, even to that point right there, that's a that's an area where Tennessee has struggled a good bit, and, and they they really were able to close out the game against Duke in an impressive fashion. You're right; they kind of maintained that gap uh, the whole time, which was a great place to be. And again, you're you're you're. You're missing Zakai Ziegler, but 
in these last couple of games, I think you can see that Tennessee is starting to really kind of figure out how to play their new and improved, not improved, but just new and adjusted game without that guy leading the point for them, and I think they've done a good job of that. What do you guys think of the chances that Euros Plavsic hits Vladislav, Vladislav Golden with a too small at any point in the game. You think he does that? I mean, if he scores on him, he's going to do it. Yeah, so. that's what I'm saying. <laughs> so you put the odds on how on you're just betting on whether Euros will score down low on uh, Golden, essentially. I, I, that would boy, would that be a sight. Will uh, there, will there be any cuts to the eye this game? I'll, the odds, I think, are in our favor to say no. So I'll say no. I'll say no, but I'll, I'll say that you see plenty of you know battle scars and scratches. Uh, yeah. I wonder. If, I wonder like after in the locker room after the game. I want to know what Eurosh thinks about all this, like about the whole you know sentiment that Tennessee's a dirty team now, and that a, a lot of people are talking about his place. I wonder if he's going to try to play into that even more moving forward and be you know kind of embrace that almost. Well, it was funny. I was talking to him in the locker room after the Louisiana game, and you know, kind of we were discussing the. Trying to calm himself down, trying not to be too emotional. And it was like one of the things I kind of thought about writing something on it, but there was, you know, enough stuff to get to before. And then it was like, boom, first two minutes of the game, Euros being Euros with, with some of the antics, as Rick Barnes says. But, yeah, I, I I don't think you'll necessarily play into it more, but I don't think you'll see him shy away, you know, mm-hmm. try to go the opposite direction either. Well, and in that same point, and again, I, I didn't talk to Euros about this, but I did talk to Jonas Adu after the game, and... He said that, hey, we understand that that is intimidating, right? And not – this was also before the dirty narrative came out. So, so you know, kind of keep that in consideration with what I'm about to say. But I think they did understand that, you know, hey, that physicality that they brought to that table, they realized that it was intimidating for Duke. I think they could look at the Blue Devils in the first half and say, these guys look a little bit rattled. These guys look a little bit lost. Maybe these guys look a little bit scared even uh, – I mean, scared isn't the perfect word, but Tennessee was using their physicality to their advantage, and I think that Jonas Adu at least recognized that and spoke about it after the game and just said, hey, we realize that that was intimidating. And so I, I don't see Tennessee necessarily going overboard with that kind of thing, but I do think that you know the Duke game emphasized to them that that was going to be a, a borderline necessity going forward as an identity for this Tennessee team. You, like Brian said, you got to bring them down to the mud, and that's where Tennessee wants to play, and that's where Tennessee wants to keep their opponent. Yeah, and I think it's a it's a good strategy moving forward in the tournament, like I said earlier. And going back to the scoring, just final thought here, I think it's easy to forget. It, maybe not that. Maybe that's not what I'm trying to say. But Olivier Conwa's second half just kind of put every everything to bed as far as you know Tennessee's balance offensively in the second half. Just because Olivier yeah. was so good, it didn't really matter. Like he was that good to where Duke couldn't even keep up with him offensively. So I think moving forward, if Tennessee's going to continue to win games in the tournament, you're not going to get an Olivier Conwa game like that every time. No. I think if Tennessee plays against Duke like they did against Louisiana, they lose. So Tennessee's still going to need more balance offensively moving forward is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, 100%. And you kind of look at it. They were so good defensively against Duke. If they hadn't got that from Olivier Conwa, it probably would have been close. You know, it probably would have still won. But, you right. know, it's a tight game. It could have gone either way at the end. And Tennessee's good enough defensively when they're at their best. They can drag teams to that. But to win with any sort of comfort, you have to have a little bit more offense. And if your defense isn't as sharp as it can possibly be, you better have that offense or you're going to lose. Final thoughts on Tennessee FAU tipping off Thursday night, 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern time on TBS in the Sweet 16. Again, 4-seed Tennessee, 9-seed FAU. No, that was that. I think that was kind of just my final thought, what I just said. But, um, yeah, I think – it's going to be a fun one. Um, we'll see if, if FAU is shooting out of their minds. Tennessee's going to have to bring it, of course. I think Tennessee 
should win this game. Uh, another late tip-off, so sucks for Santiago Vescovi. I know he hates those, but... <laughs> yeah, I think the two things that stand out for me about this game, and we've obviously kind of touched on both of them, but the, the two going into the game I think will be the deciding factors is just how well FAU shoots the ball. Like, there's just so much variance in that, and Tennessee could play good defense like they did in that first Missouri game, and FAU could hit 13 threes and beat them. And then the rebounding. Like, those are, to me, the two X factors for both teams. If Tennessee can just dominate the glass and get a bunch of more shots because of that, and if FAU can hit a lot more threes, I mean, if FAU's hitting, they certainly have the potential to hit a lot more threes in Tennessee. And basic math, three is greater than two. Josh Heupel, what are your thoughts on Tennessee basketball in the Sweet 16? just what's going on on our campus uh, great weekend uh, balls basketball coach Barnes and, and uh, team uh, their performances o- over uh, last weekend were phenomenal a lot of fun to watch uh, excited to see them as, as they embark on the, the sweet 16 here later this week I'm sure a lot of you guys will be traveling looking forward to tonight's game uh, getting a chance to watch Kelly and her team play they, uh, they're ready to make a run at the sweet 16 too and and uh, Shoot ball, uh, softball uh, is off to a great start, top five in the country and, and uh, playing extremely well. So a lot of positive things going on here uh, on Rocky Top. And I think it speaks to the, the culture inside of this athletic department and this university. Uh, excited about uh, all of our spring sports. And so We will have our game predictions up on RockyTopInsider.com coming up sometime soon. Uh, t- t- today and tomorrow are going to be a big travel day for us as we head over to the Big Apple. But but don't worry, we will have those predictions up on RockyTopInsider.com. It's going to be a big week. Make sure you're staying tuned for all of it. Now, real quick, before we jump into our interview with Kyler Kerbison and Reed Bacon, how about a little football talk, right? How about a little football talk? It's been a minute. We've, we've had some off-season storylines to talk about. We've had some, obviously, a lot of roster movement with the transfer portal and recruiting and all that kind of stuff. But let's talk a little bit of football now that they're back on the field. Tennessee jumped to the field yesterday. First couple of things that noticed to me, some of the new faces on this Tennessee field. Joe Milton, not a new face by any stretch of the imagination, going into year three with Tennessee football, but he is the starting quarterback now. There's no Hendon Hooker on the field. Joe Milton is the guy in charge of the room. And at least from what we've seen in the last two days, you can absolutely see that he is commanding the team. He's commanding offense. He is the leader of the football team. But aside from him, though, as we mentioned a second ago, there are fun new, a couple of fun new faces on the field. Number one, Dante Thornton. He's gonna he's at least wearing number eleven right now, which gives you a little bit of Jalen Hyatt vibes. But man, does he look the part on the field? Josh Heupel did talk about in a press conference yesterday. There's you know of course you got to get the mental aspect down. You can't just come to Tennessee with the elaborate offensive scheme that they run and be able to immediately be plugged in and play. There's gonna have to be a little bit of development just from understanding the scene, understanding the scheme, understanding the system. But ultimately, he looks like a great player on the field. Another guy flipping sides a little bit, linebacker Keenan Peely, who's coming in from BYU. BYU. Thank you very much. That guy looks like a dog. <laughs> I mean, he he just know that name right now. He I I to me, one of my early predictions for next year's football season is that he is on the field a lot. A, because I think Tennessee's defense is going to be on the field for a fair good amount. And I do think that he's going to be a starter. He was actually one of the, I believe, he was the only newcomer out on the field today to be running with the ones. He was running with the ones on the defensive side of the ball right there next to Aaron Beasley and Roman Harrison. So to me, that tells me that they're immediately excited about this guy. This is a guy who's been productive before. This is a guy who's old and mature. I believe he's 24 or 25 years old. I believe yeah. he went on his trip already. Um now he's coming back to play football, so 
those are just a couple of new names that that we've seen on the field in the last two in the last two couple of days. But those might be the two new additions that have caught my eye the most. Yeah, no, Keenan Pilly for sure, and you know he just looks the part. And yeah. Tim, going back to whenever that uh, presser was with Halsley and Tim Banks about over a month ago, he said that both BYU guys and Keenan Pilly and Gabe Judy Lally were instant leaders in the locker room. They just come in, they have that experience, yeah. and you know they're leading these young guys and. You know, Pilly looks like he's going to be a big player for Tennessee. Of course, as you said, running with the ones. So it's going to be exciting to see what he can do throughout the rest of the spring. Yeah, it will be. I, he's a guy that Tennessee needs. That doesn't necessarily mean that he they need him to definitively be a starter, but they do definitively need him to play a lot of snaps. So it's certainly there's, I think, is an extra emphasis, you know, looking at a guy like that early in spring practice when not a lot's decided, not, yeah. a, not a ton, a ton of conclusions to draw. But it's good to see him kind of pass that first test because if you don't pass that first test, it's going to be maybe hard Tough. to catch up. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a really good sign for Tennessee. And, uh, you know, we've talked about it a while back, I guess, after signing day. That that linebacker position, I think, is one that they have really infused with some talent uh, over the past year or so. Some of that talent is still young, uh, but it's going to be an exciting group to watch in the spring, into the fall, and then obviously into the season. Yeah. yeah. Quick thought on the linebackers. I know he's not a newcomer or anything, but Roman Harrison looks so fast in practice. I know yeah, he's he, a quick he guy anyway, around. and he was good last season in a lot of games. But, like, if there's going to be a guy that just two practices in, this is so just premature here on March 21st, but if I think there's going to be a guy that can fill Byron Young's shoes this season, it may be Roman Harrison. He just looks the part. Could be him. Could be Josh Josephs. they mm-hmm. got a couple of guys who I really think are going to be able to rush the quarterback, in, and, and Tennessee needs that to be a strength of the team. Yeah, because it helped him so much last year. Oh man, it, was, it really did. Especially yeah. when Byron Young was was on. That was that was a terrific job. As far as other defensive uh, side of the ball notes, Amari Thomas, Bryson Eason, Dominic Bailey, a lot of your the other guys who are running with the ones on defense on the defensive side. A lot of the guys you're already familiar with. Those three: Roman Harrison, who you just mentioned, Tamari McDonald, Wesley Walker, Tank McCullough, uh, Danico Slaughter, Kamal Haddon. Those are all games that we heard of, all names that we heard of plenty last year. One note is that. Tamari McDonald cut his hair, I believe. Yeah. Uh, I think I saw that today when he took off his helmet. So that's a little meaningless uh, development right there, but enough to enough to say it. One other spot that I, I noticed, though, is that there are a lot of, lot of defensive backs on the field. Tons. And, and that is a spot where Tennessee absolutely wanted to provide depth. They got him in both the transfer portal with Gabe Judy Lowley, as we just talked about, but they also got him in a lot of the, uh, a lot of the recruits that are on the field now. Um, Jordan Matthews, we, we saw getting some, you know, getting some reps physical. and continuing his his. <laughs> he had a physical He's play him to there. The ground with no pads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he did. He they were running some one on one drills and and he he got physical and he tackled a guy basically <laughs> just on the on the route on air and it was uh, it was pretty good. But you can tell that some of those guys are just really excited to be out there. Another name that we saw who was impressive, Aaron Carter picked off Joe Milton today when they were running some eleven on eleven stuff. So that was all good and. Ultimately, I think that what you're seeing right now, just at least what we've seen in these first two days of spring practice right now, just guys getting back out on the field, guys getting acclimated to their spots, maybe some new spots getting shifted around, but uh, ultimately it's just guys getting back on the field and getting ready for the next couple weeks of spring practice. Yeah, I know you're right, and I think I'm glad you brought up Jordan Matthews because to me, I think he might be the biggest X factor on the entire defense. Like This year? Yeah, in the sense that like if he – plays like I think he's capable of if he comes in and is an immediate contributor. I mean, he has tons of talent. Like, it feels like he's going to be a no-doubt really good player in his career. 
or his time at Tennessee. But if he can do it right away and just solidify one half of the football field at corner, like I think that would just go so, so far because Tennessee hasn't had that. And I think that takes some of the pressure off the pressure off the pass rushing uh, and the defensive line a little bit. And, I mean, it really could be any of the freshman corners. You know, Ricky Gibson would also, or Christian Conyer would be able to do yeah. that too. But Jordan Matthews feels like the guy that's the most talented and maybe the most physically ready to play right now. Another area where they, they seem to have a, a good bit of depth, and Jack and I were talking about this today even a little bit, and just kind of interested to see what's going to happen right there, especially because Tennessee does cut down their rotation a little bit. But there are a bunch of wide receivers back there, and, and some of them are – Young players but rising. Guys who were maybe freshmen last year, sophomores this year, who you're interested to see if they can take that next step or not. Guys like a Chaz Nimrod. He was running with the ones today as Brew McCoy was a little bit limited with, I don't know what's going on, but a little bit limited right there, as you would expect from spring practice. So Chaz Nimrod got got some runs with the ones. But what about a guy like Caleb Webb, right? We saw him make a couple plays uh, there during practice. Going to be interesting to kind of see how they continue that rotation. But ultimately, I think your top four receivers that you're looking at for Tennessee – as we know, Squirrel White, Brew McCoy, um, Ramel Keaton, and Thornton. to me, Dante Thornton. Yeah. I, I, again, I think that even if he's a little bit early in his Tennessee development right now, that's a guy who, who you expect to be a playmaker a little bit later on down the down the road for the team. And then the last thing I got on uh, football, now people want to know about Nico. People want to know about Nico Iamaleava. Well, he's wearing number 12 right now. We're not sure if that's going to stick for the fall roster or anything right like that. Gotta but have to ask him Thursday. Yeah, that's true. He, he will be uh, making his media appearance this week, so that should be a lot of fun. Stick around with Racked Up Insider YouTube account to see that whole thing in its full. Um, we saw him today out on the field. We saw him t- yesterday out on the field. Struggled a little bit. Made some good throws in between. Struggled a little bit. I wouldn't make a lot of... I wouldn't hold a lot of weight to, to what you hear in these early spring practices. Even me saying that we saw him struggle on a, th- a couple throws. I, I wouldn't put too much weight into that. Now, did it happen? Yes. But also, is it very early into his career here at Tennessee and really early into this development here at Tennessee? That is a 100% yes. So I, I think that in some ways you can expect that struggle. And I think that in a lot of ways that is a good thing. I, I think after some of those errant throws or, you know, he'd have a high throw or a misstep or you know, maybe maybe not the right communication with the receivers. After every single one, you'd have that conversation with Joey Halsley or Josh Heupel. Yeah. Something to, to really kind of teach him what should be going on, what he needs to do in that moment. And, hey, at the end of the day, that is what spring practice is for. So I, I wouldn't put a lot of weight into, you know, kind of what's happening, at, especially with that guy right there, kind of what's happening at spring practice, maybe a little bit of the struggles here and there. This is a young kid who has all the raw potential in the world, that is absolutely evident to see, and it's just going to be interesting to see his continuation of his development. But to me, I, I, I absolutely believe that Joe Milton is Tennessee starter. I don't think this is going to be a, a competition. That is not really a conversation that I'm uh, too too inclined on having over the next couple months. I absolutely think it's going to be Joe Milton. But, man, the continuation of the development of, of Nico Iamaleava is going to be very interesting to watch as obviously one of the future big pieces of Tennessee. But to me, all the raw potential and talent is there. Struggled a little bit. That's fine. Spring ball, spring practice, you would expect nothing less. And we just mentioned a couple minutes ago, we saw this with our own eyes, Joe Milton threw, threw an interception to Arian Carter, right? So, <laughs> yeah. again, there's a lot of things going on in the field. Some some drills are, are more specific for other players as well. So maybe that played into it a little bit. We don't exactly know. But that, at least, is a little bit of a Nico update from my own two eyes. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we're two days in. It's March 21st. Um, he's having to get used to the tempo. It, it's just so early in the process. And also, it's 30 degrees outside when he's yeah, throwing. Yeah, it's cold. So at 8.50 a.m. or 9, 10 a.m. So 
you know, I don't know. I'm not putting hardly any stock into it. Uh, definitely, as you said, Rick, Nico is the backup right now, and I don't think there's going to be much of a competition, but he looks the part, and most most of his miscues are all overthrows, so the strength is certainly there. Yeah, I, I don't think this is going to be a Texas situation, right, where uh, Steve Sarkeesian has already declared an open competition between Arch Manning and Quinn Ewers, right? In March, they're declaring nah, that. Heifel, that is a wild Heifel doesn't strike me to make some kind situation. of— declaration like that or no me me neither i'm at least not in that same boat but otherwise uh we will continue talking a little bit about tennessee football throughout the week obviously basketball is going to be the main topic of the conversation here going forward but of course we're going to be getting ready for the orange and white game coming up on april 15th just with all the tennessee players that are out there on the field and there's more guys that we didn't talk about today we didn't get to the offensive line we didn't get some of the skilled players so we're going to be talking that here in the next couple weeks as well don't worry at all all right guys any other thoughts? Just football, basketball, anything we missed in between? Yeah, Lady Vols, another blowout um, back-to-back against St. Louis Take and Toledo. Um, outscoring their opponents by 92 points in the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament. Obviously got the opportunity to host in Knoxville, and they took advantage of that with back-to-back blowout performances. They now had to Seattle to face Virginia Tech, the one seed in that region. Tennessee played the Hokies earlier this season, lost by three in Knoxville in early December, so they'll try to avenge that loss and reach the Elite Eight. will likely play UConn if they win. There you go. Boy, that would be fun. There you go. Should be a a lot of exciting stuff going on right now. Hey, don't go anywhere. Coming up next, we are talking with Kyler Kerbison, former Tennessee offensive lineman, and Reed Bacon, his partner in crime on the Tennessee Football Podcasting Network. Should be a lot of fun. We're going to talk a little football. We're going to talk a little basketball in between, but it's going to be fun. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. And now, back to the show. Here we go, back here on the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. Rick Butler with two great guests that we've already teased earlier in the show. Now we have them ready to talk about a little Tennessee football. We got right here on the line Kyler Kerbison, former Tennessee offensive lineman from 2011 to 2015. We have Reed Bacon right here in studio. These guys combined for absolutely one of the best Tennessee football podcasts. Believe in Tennessee football. It is a fantastic show that... You know, we will certainly be talking a little Tennessee football here, but gentlemen, welcome into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass. Thanks for having us, man. I I, uh, I appreciate you taking this time. Uh, you know, I'm sorry that I couldn't be in studio, but you get a chance to stare at Reed's ugly mug for about 15 minutes. <laughs> hey, Kyler, I'm I'm telling you, you're missing out. It's first class here. The uh, I'm staring at the. It's much different than uh, being in my, uh, you know, dining room or bedroom <laughs> and uh, yeah, exactly. staring on a Zoom. This is uh, this is the real deal. So let me let me ask you guys this first. And, and obviously, you're around Tennessee football a lot. Kyle, your connection to, to Tennessee football kind of right there in the mid-2010s or so. But how did you transition that into podcasting? How, when did this all start for you guys? And whose idea was it as well? Uh, it, well, uh, it really started back in 2020. Um, honestly, it was because my wife got a new job in a new city. I had to find a job, find something to do. I thought this would be a fun uh, thing for me. So I started the podcast, was literally just doing it by myself. And Reed, being one of my great friends from high school and having a little bit of football experience uh, himself, would call me after each week and be like, I think this point is stupid. I think I agree with this. And he would just banter back and forth and we'd have hilarious conversations just talking about the podcast. And I said, why don't you just come on, just 
just come on and talk to me. I mean, at that point I was getting like 15, 20 listens. It was probably seven, eight of them were my mom. So <laughs> just over and over. I was like, yeah, just over and over. So I was like, Reed, come on. Like we'll, we'll just talk football and see if people enjoy our banter back and forth. And they have, and it just kind of went from there. Um, so Reed probably came on, I'd say, you know, four or five months into it. And then we've just been growing and growing from that. I, I don't know if Kyler's telling the, the full, full story. I think he's been a little, <laughs> a little quick with it. You know, he, he, he's always wanted to be in media and he, and he reached out to a good amount of people about either doing radio, obviously TV is really difficult to get in. And, and I forget the conversation that he had. Um, I don't, I, I want to say it might've been Doug Matthews that you were talking with and over there in Nashville. And he There's- said, and he there said, was a few. Yeah, and he said, you just got to get reps. You got to get reps. Sure. And so, uh, yeah, so Kyler had uh, gotten contacted and, and started running with it. And me being a good friend, which which Kyler and I have been great friends. So not only was I doing the friendly thing, but I did enjoy listening to him. And I would call him and, and we would talk. And there, there was one time I was on a work trip. I was dra- traveling. Uh, so I just listened. I called him. I was like, you're so full of it. I was like. <laughs> I was like, we're, 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 I, I was like calling him out on. It was actually right when Danny uh, Danny White had been hired. I think as the the new AD. It was like so that, right before this whole era, the, the, literally the, yeah. the crux of this whole new era that we're in right now. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and and so I just want to be a good good a good friend and support him. And then yeah, I still remember it. He called and he's like, why don't you just do it with me? I was like, I, bro, I have no idea. He's like, let's just hop on a call and just talk. I said okay. And it's been it's been a blast ever since. I. Um, you know, I, I love doing it with him. It's great. It's it's come with a lot, a lot of fun things. You know, one of the things that we're doing this week is one of my favorite things that we do, uh, and that's go to practice. And um, yeah, so that's that's one of the best things about Kyler being a former Vol is we get to go, we get to stay the whole time, and we get to watch. And um, so for me, that's that's been I've I've enjoyed doing it to help a friend it's fun and then it you know comes with some cool cool fun perks yeah you hopped in the tank right there with them and off you off to the races yeah okay so you bring up you know obviously this being one of the one of the more fun times that that you've gotten to do a little tennessee football podcasting and a lot of that is is probably to do with the success that tennessee football has had coming off of an 11 and 2 season last year there's a lot of high expectations for the team coming up you guys just mentioned it you'll be at spring practice coming up later this week i've been there the last two couple days now I will say it's been cold outside. I don't know how much that's going to continue throughout the week. But what are some of the things that you guys look for when going to spring practice? What What is spring practice most beneficial for for guys on the team, whether they're old or young? Or, I don't know, maybe there's a difference. Yeah, I think I, I mean, when we go to practice, what I'm looking at first and foremost is who's getting replaced. So the guys that have left, all right, who's coming in and who's going to their place? Like, I am so excited to see who is right tackle, who is right guard. Like, do, you, do, you want me to, do you want me to give you that answer right now from, from the notes that I collected uh, at practice, or you want to go see for yourself? Well, I'll see for myself and let everyone know what I see out there, but I would definitely love to hear that from you. So at least for today, and, and obviously, you know, you can you can probably attest to, to this more, and I'm sure, I'm sure they're using a couple of veteran guys just to kind of plug in place a little bit. But right now, at least from what we saw today, starting offensive line going left to right was Gerald Mincy, Ollie Lane, Cooper Mays, Jerome Smragans, uh, and uh, uh, Crawford, Jeremiah Crawford. So those are, uh, okay. those are some of the replacements for, I guess, 
was Darnell Wright and uh, Jerome Carvin. You know, Kyler. Javante Spragans, yeah, excuse me. No, you're good. Yeah, and Kyler, hearing that, <clears throat> I know for a fact I'm pumped because you, you and I both love Mincy and we both love Jeremiah Crawford. So having them on the yeah. at the same time be great, which will be good to, to look for uh, on Saturday. That was one of the things. Yeah, that was one of the things I was concerned about. I just didn't know who was going to have an easier transition to the right side because some guys can do it. Some guys can flip back and forth. Others, it is like they're crawling for the first – like it is like they're a baby trying to figure out how to walk again. Like it just does not work. So that was what I was interested in. sounds like. Spragans can do that as well, moving right to left. Um, so that honestly makes me feel good, too, for our depth-wise. Yeah, I think that's certainly one of the things that you notice right there. When you talk about it being tough to switch from one side and some guys pick it up a little bit better, is that mainly, and this might be a very scaled-down version, but is that mainly footwork? Is it technique? What makes that transition tough? It is, first it is your mind and just okay. trying to understand, hey, I, you know, I'm going – you know, this inside zone to the right, I need to make sure and do this footwork and I'm blocking this guy instead of the other. So that part of it, but there also is with every step that you take as an offensive lineman, you have to have a certain balance in your feet. Uh, you know, if I know my first step is to the right, I'm not putting, I'm not a 50, 50 weight on my feet. I'm at 80, 20. I got 80% on my left. So I can step right really fast, really quick. And, and get my foot up and down. Um, so it really is like, okay, how do I balance my feet now that I have my left foot back instead of my right foot back if I switch from right to left? And all of that goes into it. Now your hand placement is totally different. You know, you were going as a left tackle, you were going inside hand on, you know, the inside breastplate. Now it's your left, you know, now it's your left hand instead of your right hand. So it's trying to just, switch everything in your brain and some guys it's just like I can't there's no way I can do this <laughs> I, I remember when I, that first week of practice when I was just pushed over to the left tackle and it was literally heading into Oklahoma at Oklahoma in 2014 yeah I was a fish out of water I was literally like throwing my helmet at practice because I was so pissed at myself I couldn't figure it out and get it like perfect um but reps help for sure and if you are going to transition someone over do it in spring i mean i doing it during the season is awful awful timing hey get them the reps in the spring that's what matters hey offensive lineman we appreciate you know jumping into it but let's be honest we all know that everyone wants to hear about who's replacing Jalen. You know, who, who, how, how, how the new transfer from Oregon's looking, how's Brew looking. Who's so, going to be sacking the quarterback. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, exactly, it's, all it's, the exciting things. Yeah. I get it, I get it. <laughs> I'll just – I'll just I'll just hang up. Let you guys talk. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So Kyler always navigates to the to the line, um, but there's so many spots. You know, I was looking last night, going through and trying to prep to who I wanted to look at, and it's funny because there's a lot of new pieces in the mm -hmm. defensive backfield that I'm excited about. Yeah. But there's a lot, a lot of same names, uh, which can be which can be a good thing. Maybe the fans are still a little frustrated at some of those players, but um, yeah, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a great time. It's 
the the spring breakdown and the and then fall camp, which is summer camp. Those two breakdowns are the probably the best thing that we do. And so it's great to it's great to be back out there and smell it. But it's weird talking about it with this basketball team playing as great as they are. So you know, <laughs> it's a lot of good stuff going on right now. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, I can't wait for you guys to get down to practice yourself and and for us to talk about it afterwards because I will certainly be wanting to pick both of your brains from from what you've seen. But you bring up a good point right there, and let's quickly end on that. Just. Let's flip gears. Let's talk about the Sweet 16 Tennessee basketball team. Any kind of thoughts on the game coming up on Thursday versus the Florida Atlantic Sweet 16 from, boy, oh, boy, Madison Square Garden? Yeah, MSG. I am, uh, it's, it's the Mecca of basketball. I'm happy Crazy. for you guys getting to go up there and, and, and check it out and watch. I, uh, I'm, I couldn't be more impressed. I mean, I was a little bit shocked. I, I was on record as saying I didn't think yeah. this team had the horses uh, to really make a run. Um, but as a guy who loves defense, whether it's basketball or football, it was a absolutely beautiful thing to watch, and it makes it so much sweeter that it's against a Blue Bud and Duke. Um, so I, I couldn't be more excited. I'm a little nervous about FAU. They do have some absolute ballers, some very, very, oh, good, yeah. very good players. I'm, I'm excited to see how we match up, um, especially with their one wing who – just went for 25 and 11, 5 and 5. Yeah. Um, but John yeah. L. Davis, he, yeah, he's John a L. dog. Davis, yeah, he, he is, is a dog. good. He is a dog. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited. And I know Kyler is too. Kyler's, even though he played there, Kyler is truly the biggest VFL. So I know he will be locked in. Yeah. I, I, it, sometimes I am a little bit supportive to a fault uh, with, <laughs> with Tennessee. But, you know, before this you know, tournament started, I, when Reed says shocked, I was flabbergasted that we made it past Duke. I, I did not see this team doing that. I mean, Especially literally six and seven. It. Yeah. Six and seven over that stretch. Like, you know, you lose, you get your butt whooped by Kentucky twice this year. You know, you, you lose to Auburn to end the year. You're, you know, you, you lose to Missouri again after losing to in a regular season. It was very much like, I don't know how we can even have offensive output to keep up with teams. And then we go into this Duke game and Bescovy's hitting threes. I mean, Olivia, who is number 13? I've never seen that guy before because he just showed out in this past game. That was one of the most impressive things I've seen. I I mean, there was a, you know, 10 minute real time stretch where it just felt like it's his game and no one else's. Um, so I I just so impressed that they were able to do this. They're you know now one of the sixteen best teams out there in the country in in New York playing in the Mecca. Uh, and hell, our Lady Vols are doing the same thing. It's like sure. what a time to be a Tennessee Vol fan. Yeah, and Josh Eipel Josh Eipel even talked about that yesterday in his opening spring practice press conference, just giving big shout outs all around to. Men's basketball, women's basketball, softball, baseball had a little bit of an you know a little bit of a disappointing weekend against Missouri, but Tony Vitello, it seems like he's going to get those boys hopefully fired up uh, and continuing on the rest of the season. But man, it should be a fun weekend in New York City for Tennessee basketball, and we go right back here to Knoxville, Tennessee football going strong with spring practice. I can't wait for y'all to get out there, and again, selfishly, I can't wait to talk to you guys afterwards to just pick your brains about it. But uh, it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. Oh yeah, can't for, wait. It's gonna yeah, be great. It's gonna be awesome. Um, yeah, thank you a million for having us. And Kyler, I know you're jealous for not getting to be here and see it. <laughs> I know, I definitely am. Well, hey, thanks to you both for for coming on the show today again. Reed Bacon and Kyler Kerbison right here on the RTI Press Pass podcast. My name is Rick Butler. That's gonna wrap it up for us today. Thanks so much for listening. 
Don't go anywhere, though. We're going to still be talking Tennessee football. We're going to be talking Tennessee basketball throughout the week, whether it's in New York at the tournament or right back here in Knoxville talking about football. Don't go anywhere. Make sure to follow Rocky Top Pin Center on all different social media platforms and check out RockyTopInsider.com each and every day for the latest Tennessee news, notes, and coverage. Thanks so much for listening to the RTI Press Pass today. We'll see you back next week.